Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. We're in a series called Now and Forever. Now and Forever. How many of you were here last week as we kicked this series off? Oh, yes. I ran into several families uh, this past week, and their kids actually, instead of going to Kids District, they sat with them in big church. How many know this is big church? And uh, they were so uh, fascinated by the dramatically dramatic daytime drama. They said, Mama, I'm not going to Kids District. i got to find out what happens (laughs) in the second episode of now and forever. So I know this is a kind of a cliffhanger moment. Many of you have been wondering what's happening in that dental practice and, and all those toothbrushes on eBay. I mean, they've been losing sleep over it. So why don't you turn your attention to the screen? We're going to pick up the second installment of now and forever. Check this out. Last week on now and forever. Olivia and Joy hatched a scheme to frame their rival Diago for stealing the complimentary toothbrushes and selling them on eBay. Joy hopes to replace Diago as the first hygienist and win the heart of the good doctor. But will it be enough? Will Diago get fired? Will Victor finally notice Joy? What will become of Jamie? All this and more in this week's episode of Now and Forever. Hi ma'am, today is your lucky day. My name is Diago Smith. I'm the first hygienist here at this dental practice and I will be cleaning your teeth. Hello ma'am. It is true that your teeth will be cleaned today by the first hygienist, but he is not the one. Victor, what is the meaning of this? I'm your friend and I've always been your first hygienist. (laughs) That's Dr. Victor Victor to you. And it's true, you were my friend, always loyal. And I always thought you'd be my first hygienist. That is until I found out that you've been stealing from me. Stealing? I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Then how do you explain this? You've been taking our toothbrushes and selling them on eBay. I don't know how those got in there. I can't believe I've been so blinded by our friendship that all along you've been running a toothbrush smuggling ring behind my back. How foolish I was to think that you could be trusted with our supply of free toothbrushes. Victor, you you have to believe me. I would never throw away our friendship for, for some free toothbrush money. Enough. Diago? I have seen and heard enough. I can't believe what I'm about to say, but you have betrayed the ethics of dentistry and our friendship. Joy? Joy? Yes, Dr. Victor Victor. Come in here, please. No. Victor, you gotta believe me. I I didn't do anything. Don't do something you'll regret. I must. Joy? Diago here has decided to sabotage our dental practice, and I no longer trust him to take care of our blessed patients. Diago, 
I never thought I'd have to say this, but you are no longer first hygienist. <laughs> I reduce your rank to second. No! No! Joy, I hereby promote you to first hygienist. Do your job well, and you'll succeed. And Diago, <laughs> pull yourself together. The McKenzie triplets are in the next room waiting for their teeth to be flossed. Be careful, they bite. <laughs> You will be taking care of this patient here. Do well. I must go and collect my thoughts. My dear Victor, I never meant to cause you pain. And even now that I've been promoted to first hygienist, I, I don't know if it was the right decision. <laughs> yes, it was. Now that Diago's reign as first hygienist is over, the spotlight is on me. And my dear Victor, I will not let you down. Excuse me, who are you talking to? My life is in ruins. Not only have I lost my friend, but I've had to promote that incompetent joy to first hygienist. At this rate, my practice will implode and my dreams of becoming the world's greatest dentist will never come true. At least I've got Olivia. Though I don't have Olivia. I can't believe that I felt this way for so long and I, and I haven't told her anything. You know what? I'm going to tell her. My dental kingdom has been without a queen for far too long. I'm going to tell her today. Maybe, and maybe she's felt the same way about me for so long too. How will Joy handle her new role of first hygienist? How will Olivia respond to Victor's imminent declaration of love? Will Diago be able to repair his friendship with the doctor? Find out next week on Now and Forever. Come on, put your hands together this morning. How I many know there's some drama up in that office? Man, you didn't know that endodontics and dentistry could be so dynamic. Oh, today we're going to talk about battles. We're going to talk about fighting. Anybody ever been in a good fight? Some of you, maybe right now in this season that you're in, you're walking through some struggle, walking through some, some turmoil. You know, it's interesting, Joy in this story, she's taking matters into her own hands. She's fighting on her own terms. She's using manipulation and deception. I want to talk to you today using the life of David and overlaying the scriptures in this series to really understand what it means to fight and how to fight if you're in a battle. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel 17, one of the most epic battles in all of scripture. Today, I want to talk to you about the story of David and Goliath. How many of you, you've heard this story before? 
Yeah, and you don't even have to be in church a long time or, or be a Bible scholar to know the dynamics and the, the specifics of this story. It's one of the most popular battles that we read in Scripture. And I think there's so many things for us to learn out of David's experience. But let me paint the picture before we read a few verses out of 1 Samuel 17. The Bible says that, that the Israelites were facing their arch rivals, their enemies, their nemesis, the Philistines. And they're encamped on different sides of the ravine. On one side, you have the Israelites, the people of God, with the promises of God. But on the opposite side, you have the Philistines. And for years, the Philistines seemed to be like a thorn in their flesh. In the valley between, the scripture calls this valley, gives it a name. It says the Valley of Elah. Okay. Now, I want you to get this picture because you have you have one army facing another army and this distance in between. In fact, the reason why that the armies didn't attack each other is because if the Israelites were to leave their position and go into that valley, they would be at a disadvantage. And the Philistines knew that the same would be true if they attacked. So what they chose to do instead was to send a champion. Everybody say champion. And many of you know the name of the Philistine champion was what? Goliath. Goliath was the Philistine champion. They said, if you can send us someone from your ranks to fight our champion, if we lose, then we will forever be your slaves. But if our champion defeats yours, you'll belong to us. Now, there's an interesting word there, the Hebrew word for champion, and I can't pronounce it, but let me give you this definition. The Hebrew word for champion literally means this, man of the space in between. I want you to think about that. I want you to pay attention to that. We'll get back to that in just a few moments. But a champion was a man who occupied the space in between two sides. Here's what you need to know about a battle. A battle is you getting from where you are to where God wants you to be. But there's some space in between that you're going to have to navigate. And today I want to talk to you about how to fight the battle, what to do in that space in between. Look at the story with me in 1 Samuel 17, verse 28. We're going to identify some things that try to fill that space. Verse 28, Scripture says this, When David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? Oh, I know about you. I know about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. Now, here's the context. David is there on that battle scene. He kind of stumbles on really unawares. His, his dad tells him that morning, why don't you go check out how your brothers are doing on the battlefield? Here, let me send these, these barley loaves with you and these 10 cuts of cheese. Consider this, bread and cheese. He's like a pizza delivery boy. He's delivering cheesy bread. Come on, how many likes cheesy bread? Talk to me. A little marinara sauce. Hey, take, take this cheesy bread and marinara and bring it to your brothers and, and give me a report on how the battlefield is going. And so David, this young 17-year-old boy, stumbles onto this scene and his brothers look at him in disgust. What are you doing here? Shouldn't you be back tending dad's sheep? This is no place for you. This is where warfare takes place. This is a place for men. You don't belong here. Now, this is the first point I want to bring up. I want you to consider this, that David's brothers represent the voice of doubt and unbelief. Here's what you're going to find in that valley. 
Here's what you're going to find in the space in between. You're going to hear voices of doubt and unbelief. And what's amazing to me is in the previous chapter in 1 Samuel 16, whenever Samuel anointed David to be king over Israel, you remember that? He did it in front of the brothers. The brothers saw that David carried an anointing to be king. You would think that they would believe in him. But here's what I've discovered. Sometimes it's those who are closest to you that doubt you the most. How many know what I'm talking about? Sometimes doubt and unbelief, it doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the inside. Some of you have had struggles, even within your family, as you stretch your faith and you step out to believe God. And those who are supposed to support you and believe in you, they speak doubt and unbelief. I want to tell you this. Words matter. Did you know that your words are a container of power? Words shape worlds. Can I have a good amen? So when it comes to the voices of doubt and unbelief, here's what you got to do. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. you got to learn to silence negative voices. Silence negative, critical, discouraging, unbelieving voices. Many times those are voices inside our own head. Come on now. How many of you have conversations with yourself? Some of the most intelligent conversations I have talking to myself. If that voice is negative, if it's full of unbelief and doubt, you're going to need to silence that voice. I'm going to tell you, words are, are, are powerful. In fact, words affirm. When you speak something, it's a container that has power in it. In, in, in fact, you know, we celebrate Rachel's birthday this past weekend. For our birthdays, what we do, it's a little family tradition, and I've told you this, we have what's called affirmation station. If we're having birthday lunch or birthday dinner, then we all go around the table and we say one thing that we love, admire, respect about that individual. And all my kids are like, Dad, that's so cheesy. Oh, no, here we go again. Really, we got to do this again? And they act like they don't like it. But when you get around that table and say, listen, man, you're awesome. I think you're incredible. You're so amazing. I love how smart you are, how hard you work. Man, you're so, man I'm telling you, by the time we reach around the table, how many know those kids appreciate that? In fact, they need to hear that more and more and more to affirm because you hear so many voices that are negative. And if you don't learn to silence negativity in your life, then you're going to hear words and those words are going to not only enter your mind, but drop in your spirit. Now think about this. To affirm means to give power to or to strengthen. All right. The word affirm means to give strength to. So in other words, the words that land in your spirit, the words that you affirm, uh, affirm, watch this, whatever you affirm with your words, you make stronger. You give power to. Now that can work for you or it can work against you. If you're taking in negativity and you're listening to doubt and unbelief from everybody around you, that stuff lands in your spirit and it begins to get stronger. In fact, I can remember several years ago being in an airplane and, uh, and, and, and taking on turbulence. How many of you don't like turbulence? Yeah. How many know turbulence will increase the effectiveness of your prayer life? Yeah, so I'm, I'm sitting on this plane. I forget where I was going. And, and uh, man, we hit a, po- a pocket of bad air, and that plane started rocking. And you know it's bad when the, when the captain gets on and he tells the flight attendants, uh, flight attendants, please take your seat. 
And he does it in such calm, soothing tones. How many know you're not feeling calm? And, when they, and so they're buckled up. And, man, there was this awkward silence. Man, I had my Bible with me. I started reading my Bible. The lady next to me, she looks over. She sees the Bible in my lap. She says, young man, can you pray for me too? I'm like, baby, I'm praying for you, praying for me. I'm praying for the captain. I'm praying for this whole thing. You know, so it was, it was one of those tense moments. And, man, there was fear. How many know you can feel fear? And you could just cut it with a knife. And so everything was quiet and the plane is bouncing. And I hear from behind me a guy that just breaks out in laughter. (laughs) I'm thinking, this ain't funny. So I turn around and I just want to check. What does this guy think is so funny? I mean, listen, this is a serious moment. He's not, obviously, he's not dialed into what's happening here. So I look back, I turn around, and I see he's got a pair of headphones in, and he's watching some movie from his iPad, totally oblivious to what's happening around him. And then the thought hit me. Because he could hear a voice that I didn't, he responded in a way that I couldn't. Come on now. He was hearing something that was inaudible to me. He heard something so he could respond to something. Listen, when you hear the voice of God, I'm going to tell you this. The voice of God is about faith and belief. If you can be dialed in to the voice of God, if you can hear a voice that most people don't, then you can respond in a way that most people can't. Can I have a better amen? There's no reason this shepherd boy, 17-year-old kid, fresh out of the sheep field, stumbling onto the battlefield, there's no reason naturally for him to be there. And if you just listen to the voices of your circumstances, you're going to be discouraged. How many know that you can't even watch the news without getting pumped with all kinds of negativity? How many feels discouraged and just down after watching the news? Because it seems like the only thing that makes the news is the negative stuff. If it bleeds, it leads. Come on, somebody. That's what gets all of the media and all of the the attention, all the publicity. Yet, Yet David, he's here on this scene. And his brothers, the very guys who should believe in him, they discourage him. What are you doing here? This is no place for you. Now think about it. For 40 days, the scripture says, Goliath. Every morning, the routine was the same. He'd wake up, he'd step out into that space in between, into that valley, and he would curse the armies of Israel. He would taunt them and talk down to them. And so all the Israelites are cowering in fear because of what they hear. David, had he listened to the voices of doubt and unbelief, we'd never be talking about this scene today. How many of you know you got to silence the voice of your critics? And you got to amplify the voice of God. In fact, I love this scripture in 1 Peter 2, verse 15. The scripture says it this way. For it's God's will. Somebody say God's will. Now, there are only a handful of scriptures that explicitly tell us the will of God. And this is one of those verses. The Bible says this. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should what? Silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Can I have a good amen? Amen. How do you silence? How do you put to silence negative, critical, foolish speech? Man, you just keep on doing good. You hear from God and what God says about you, you need to say about you. 
If what others are saying, if, if, if what they say doesn't line up with what God says, then you need to discard what you hear others say, and you need to immerse yourself in what God's word says for you. How many of you know your words need to match God's word over your life? It's so important. Oh, David, you just come to watch. I know you. I know your pride. I know your deception. You've just come to watch. Listen, David didn't come to watch. He came to win. He was there on a mission. Now look at what it says, verse seven, uh, chapter 17, verse 38. Then Saul gave David his own armor. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Saul's giving up his armor. Now Saul's king. But he's giving his armor to David. Why? Because Saul had no intention of wearing it himself. Saul gives David his own armor, a bronze helmet, a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like. For he had never worn such things before. (laughs) This is what he protests. He says to Saul, I can't go in these. I'm just not used to them. So David took them off again. First thing I want you to see is the voice of the brothers is the voice of doubt and unbelief. And some of us need to silence the negative voices in our life. But the second thing I want you to see is this. Even Saul. Look at Saul's method. Saul says, well, okay, David, if you're going to fight, here's how you have to do it. Saul is all about the spirit of control. Sometimes when we're in a battle, we always want to be in control. How many of you, how many control freaks do we have in the house? Okay. Only had seven of you raise your hand. And some of you are pointing to the person next to you. How many like, when you're fighting through some stuff, when you're struggling through some stuff, you like to know every piece of information. You want to walk into the room and be in charge, be in control. Saul is the spirit of control. Tell you what, you got to be careful because sometimes we try to control things that we have no control over. One of the most frustrating endeavors in life is to try to control circumstances that you realize are beyond your control. How many of you know that there's an illusion of control that many of us carry? We wake up and we think that a lot of it is because of what we do and what we say and how we're in charge. But really, if you were to peel it back, there's very little we have control over except stewarding our own soul. Can I have a good amen? You know, I like to, I come to work and, you know, I come to the office and I walk up into that office and, man, things are run my way. That I mean, it's kind of my little kingdom here. Projects are complete. Assignments are carried out. What does it mean? It means I'm in charge. This is my little kingdom. I go to, to the house and I walk into the kids' bedrooms and I see that the beds are made and that the, the clothes are put away and toys are picked up. Everything is done as it's supposed to. What does it mean? It means I'm in charge. It's my little kingdom. At the end of the day, I come home from a long day of work and I walk through the door and I see my slippers are laid out in front of my favorite chair. The remote control, the TV is set to ESPN. My iced tea is right there on the stand next to me. What does it mean? I'm in the wrong house. (laughs) I'm teasing. It's Rachel's birthday. We love her. But how many know sometimes we think we're in charge, but we're really not? You're going to face, just like David stands in front of this giant. Some scholars say this giant was was 13 feet tall. I'm going to tell you this. God will always call you into battles that are bigger than you are. 
and, and you're going to have to make a decision. I've got to surrender control because I'm stepping into circumstances that I don't understand completely. And if you're going to battle, you can't always battle according to your own understanding. If the giant is bigger than you are, then you're going to have to trust a God that's bigger than you. But, but, but you know, when it comes to the, we like our space, we like our kingdom, we like to be in control. In fact, consider this. How many of you, small kids at the house, how many of you know a two-year-old's favorite word? What's a two-year-old's favorite word? Come on, say it with a little conviction. No! Why do they love that word? Because they're beginning to discover their own kingdom, right? They're ordering their space, their kingdom. No! Or, or, or when, when we would go on vacation, and, and many of you have done this, you've taken long trips with your kids. How many of the kids will fight in the back seat because they'll say, don't cross this line? <laughs> you have kids do that? Are my kids the only one that's ever done that? They're getting very territorial. They're identifying their kingdom, their space. And so my sisters and I, we would do it all the time. We would, hey, they, they would say, Mike, don't cross this line. And I would just get right up to Hi. Hi, what's going on over there? And you're just messing with it, Dad. And then so that, you know, your kid's fussing in the back seat. What does Dad do? He threatens to pull the car over. How many of you, your parents has ever threatened, do you want me to stop this car right now? I will wear you out on the side of the road. Kids fighting in the back seat, and, you know, dad threatens. We're thinking, dad, who do you think you are? Man, what, this is our kingdom. Don't cross my space. And what does dad do? He takes the claw. How many of, you, how many of your parents, when they're driving down the road, 60 miles an hour, they get this thing going back here. <laughs> The claw. Come on, somebody. How many of your parents had the claw? How many of you moms and dads still work with the claw? You're looking in that rearview mirror and man. And kids aren't dumb. We retreat to neutral corners, right? But my dad had a way of bringing us back into play. He would just tap on the brakes and there we came forward. Come on. Thy kingdom come. Right? Everybody likes their own space. We like to be in control. We like to be in the know. But the truth is, you're going to face battles and you're going to fight giants that you don't have the strength to fight. You don't have the understanding, the strategy. You don't even feel equipped. I don't know what to do. Saul says, David, if you're going to fight, you have to fight this way. But how many of you know that God's a little bit smarter than we are. He is. That's part of the reason why we come to church on Sundays and we worship him. We humble ourselves because we're recognizing, Lord, I don't know everything. It's okay not to know everything. For some of you, what you need to do today is officially resign as the controller of the universe. If you'll just, you know what, I'm officially retiring, I'm stepping down. You know what happens when you surrender? It's a thing called freedom. Ah, you're just so free. And you know what, there's a weight that's lifted off of you, and guess what happens? Then there's a responsibility that's shifted to God Almighty. How many of you know that it may be bigger than you, but it's not bigger than God? 
I used to tell our students this when I was a youth pastor back in the day. I would talk about, listen, let, let's say you're playing basketball two on two and your partner is Michael Jordan and you're, you're facing against the top athletes in your school. It's you and Michael Jordan versus the whole school. How many of you know that the game plan is get Michael the ball? Just, just, just put the ball in Jordan's hands and guess what? Get out of the way. Let Jordan do what Jordan does because he's going to jump over everybody and he's going to slam it in their face and you're going to win 70 to nothing. Of course, Jordan's going to score about 68 points and you're going to have two. But how many of you know that because of what he accomplishes, you get the victory too? You see, when you surrender control, you empower God to do God things. How many of you know you're not God? Turn your neighbor and say, you're not him. I mean, I mean, you're pretty awesome. You're pretty amazing, but you're not God. We're, we're limited. God has never once confused himself with us. How many know God's not an identity crisis? Now, sometimes we confuse ourselves with him. We try to play God in other people's lives. Come on now, come on now, come on now. But if we'll surrender, David said, you know what? It's just not me. You see, the challenge is this. Some of you are trying to fight the battle wearing somebody else's armor. And you wonder why you struggle and struggle and fight and struggle and suffer. And, and you just can't seem to find victory. I'm telling you where victory comes. Victory comes when you surrender your plans to God's purpose. If I can surrender my plans to God's purpose. Now, I'm not saying don't have a plan. But once you put your plan together, move it to the other side of the table and say, God, what do you have to say about that? And if God wants to and start over, let God do what he does. I, I, I just can't go in this. It's something about this just doesn't feel right. Now, look at what it says here in verse 45. I love this. I love this. Finally, David goes and he presents himself in front of the Philistine champion. Keep in mind the whole armies of, of, of Israel and the Philistines. Everybody's watching. Here comes this little skinny, frail shepherd boy, 16, 17 years old, facing off against a man of war, Goliath, who from head to toe is ready for battle. And listen to what David says. David replied to the Philistine. You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. How many know little David's talking big now? What? 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 Verse 46. Today. Somebody say today. Today, the Lord will conquer you. Who's doing the conquering? But, but now listen, God had to choose a man, a vessel. God needed a conduit in which he could flow. David says, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut your head off. Oh, my, 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 my. Whew. David said, I'm going to kill you dead. How many know that God's not just going to knock the giant down? but God's going to conquer and destroy that giant completely. 
He says, the Lord will conquer you. I'll kill you. Cut your head off. And then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give the dead bodies of all your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword and not with a spear. This battle is the Lord's, and he will give you to us. Can I have a good amen? You see, David identifies that there is a conflict in front of me, but there's the Spirit of God inside of me. And this is not my battle to fight. This is the Lord himself, and he will conquer you. He's just looking for a vessel that's willing and trusting. I've made myself available. Now, here's what's going to happen. You and all of your homies are going down. And when I kill you and destroy you, I'm going to feed the, the, the birds and the wild animals of this field with the bodies of all your men. Can you, can you imagine what Goliath must have felt? Really? Oh, really? For real? Can you imagine what all of David's brothers are thinking right now? Consider what the armies of Israel are thinking. Oh, Lord. For David to be such a little guy. Those are big words. Listen, all of the Israelites cowered in fear. They thought, don't fight Goliath. Goliath's too big to fight. David said, no, 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 no. Goliath is too big to miss. You see, his perspective was totally different. Why? Because he silenced negative voices and he surrendered his plans to God. Then he was ready to go into battle. Now, keep in mind, Goliath is the Philistine champion. Now, here we have little skinny, scrawny David. He's the Israelite champion. What does the word champion mean? Champion is the Hebrew word for man of the space in between. Would you consider this? Sin separates us from God. All sin does. There's a thousand, ten thousand and one different ways to sin, different acts of sin. But you know what? Sin separates us. There's a space in between. None of us want to live separated from God. But because of our sin nature, there's distance, there's space. And guess what? We need a champion. We need somebody to step up in that space in between God and ourselves. Fighting a battle, getting you from where you are to where God wants you to be, it takes a champion. Now, this day, it was little David. But can I tell you this? The son of David came, and his name is Jesus. And when he came and he suffered and he bled and he died on a cross, and as he hung on the cross, you know what he said? It is it's finished. Why would he say it's finished? What does that mean? Jesus, you're finished? Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus was just getting started. What the devil thought was done, Jesus said, no, wait a second. I'll be back. When he said it's finished, he's saying the assignment that God gave me is now complete. And the scripture says three days. Come on, somebody say three days. Three days later, the spirit of the living God raised Christ from the dead. Now, guess where Jesus is? Jesus is in heaven but he's seated. This is important. Watch this. Don't, don't fog out. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Why? Why is he seated? Because his work is complete. God has already done everything that he's going to do when it comes to your victory and your freedom. 
Don't wait for God to do anything else. He's already done it. Jesus conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. He's defeated the enemy. And now he's seated at that place of honor at God's right hand. So here's what I want you to know. How do we fight the battle? Watch this. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Do you see the difference? We're not trying to achieve or attain something that we don't already have. If you're in Christ, somebody say in Christ. If you're in Jesus, you're identifying with what Jesus did. His victory now belongs to you. Come on, are you catching this? we got to change the way we think, trying to get something we don't have. No, no, no. God says through Christ, I've already given it to you. So when you fight, you don't fight for victory. I've already accomplished that. You fight from a place of victory. Can I have a good amen? amen? I still feel like I'm struggling to connect this thought. Fighting from victory. We identify with what Jesus did. We didn't do it. He did it. Well, let me say it this way. LSU football. What? <laughs> Some of you are like, man, I was feeling victory until you said that. How many of you, you know, we get excited about our teams or we get de- depressed about our teams? <laughs> These are our teams. Why? Man, we've invested something into the program, in, in, into man, that football team. That's my team. I wear my colors. I wear purple. I wear gold. Man, I'm an LSU Tiger. And when my team does well, what do I say? Hey, we played well last night. Wow, did you see what we did? Or if we played bad, oh, man, we're just terrible. Oh, we can't close out the deal. We can't, where's our quarterback? What's the deal with our coaches, man? Why it's, you know, it's always in peril. Nothing's ever easy. What's wrong with us? What? Now, let me say, when we say we, how many know you didn't play a single down yesterday in that football game? You didn't. I love you. But you didn't do a thing. How many know you made no decision on the coaching, the strategy, the execution of anything that happened in Tiger Stadium? How many know we didn't do that? But what do we say? That's my team. And when they win, we say, hey, we won. We, personal, possessive, I'm identifying. Why? Because I'm in, I'm invested in. Listen, Jesus died on the cross. You didn't. Jesus was raised from the dead. You didn't. You couldn't. But based on what he did, watch this now, I'm in Christ. And so his victory is my victory. His success is my success. He did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Come on. I'm not fighting for victory. When I fight, I fight from victory because Paul said it this way. Ooh, I'm feeling, oh, I'm excited. I'm happy. I'm happy. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, the Bible says this. Now, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Do you know that if you're in Jesus, what he accomplished for you is yours. What he died to give you is yours. Death, hell, the grave, addiction to drugs, alcohol, sexual bondage. Maybe your struggle is financial. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's something in a marriage or with one of your children. Wait a second. Victory is yours because of what Jesus did. How do you fight? 
You better silence some negativity. You better surrender whatever plan that you've made. But notice this. You're fighting from a position of victory. Can I have a good amen? You receive that today? I'm going to ask the band to come up. The Bible says that David took five smooth stones. Five. Why did he grab five rocks? I know some of you have heard this before. Some preachers believe that Goliath had four brothers. I got five stones. Goliath, this one's got your name on it. Here's brother number one, brother number two, brother number all, all y'all, come on. All y'all going down. And that may be true. I, I don't know. It sounds good. But do you know that five is the number of grace? You know that? When Jesus died on the cross, his body was pierced five times. You know that? One, two, three, four, five There's so much of Jesus in this. You see, Jesus is known as the son of David. Here we're talking about David and what David did for Israel. But if you translate that into what's happening here, it's not a young shepherd boy. I'll tell you what, it's the Lamb of God. Jesus, the son of David. Scripture says he took the rock threw it at that giant and there was probably not a place on his body that was vulnerable except one and it hit him right in his weakest here's what I know about Jesus I don't know what's coming against you but I know Jesus will give you everything you need to walk in victory and to live in freedom five rocks well maybe that was an insurance policy Maybe just, you know, if he misses with rock one, he's going to grab another rock. He misses that second rock, grab another rock. Maybe it's because he didn't know if he was going to be a good enough shot to get the giant. I don't know, but I'll tell you this. Pack your pocket full of rocks and sling a rock. If it doesn't work, grab another rock. If, that, if it doesn't work the first time, grab a second rock, a third rock. You keep slinging rocks. I'm going to tell you this. God will give us what we need to walk in victory, but it's not going to come without some effort. You're going to have to do your... Jesus has already done his part. But you got to show up for battle. And don't you dare quit throwing rocks. Don't you dare quit. I'm telling you, Ecclesiastes says, in Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time for everything, a time and a season for everything under heaven. And read it. There are 28 different times. There's a time to be born, a time to die, a time for love, a time to hate, a time for peace, a time for all these times. 28 different times. You know what there's never a time of? There's never a time to quit. Not once. Some of you are here today and you feel like giving up because that giant is so big. Your champion Jesus has filled that space in between. He's the man between the space. And he's going to give us exactly what we need. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.